Hey, it's your girl Texas Tootie here with another fun fact about Texas. Guess where the biggest ranch in the United States is? That's right, Texas. It's called the King's Ranch. It is over 825,000 acres. That ranch is bigger than the state of Rhode Island. That's your fun fact about Texas. I'm Texas Tootie, proud mom of a Texas law enforcement officer. Back the blue. The Donkey Parents Podcast. Uno, dos, cuatro, cinco, no, seis. No, no, Episode six, we have arrived. I don't think that's how you count in Spanish. Don't worry about that. <laughs> All right, we have an action-packed show. We have a lot to pack into a short amount of time. So we begin with some hate mail. Can you even believe we got hate mail? No. It's our first correspondence. This, I'm so excited. <laughs> you sound excited. <laughs> this, this hate mail is from the second floor program. It sounds like Commander A.A. Ron is from the substitute teacher skit on Key and Peel. What a ripoff. Oh, wow. Who's that from? Yeah, there's no name. I'll have you know, unnamed, that it's not a ripoff of Key and Peel. Our commander's name is Double A Ron, like the battery. On the Facebook report, we just wanted to say thank you for posting all the pictures of your fam over Christmas and, and New Year's. We had our first family gathering in our new home. Yeah. Had about 10 people over. Mm-hmm. I made a leg of lamb that was a huge hit. Man, that bad boy. When I shaved my mustache, I kept it so I could eat it later. <laughs> That's so gross. It's time for the Doc and Carolyn podcast t-shirt giveaway update. If you don't have a clue what the t-shirt giveaway is, check out episode five. Winners are going to be announced on January 19th. It's time for the NP is in starring Carolyn Kilgore, MSN, APRN, FNPC. Last week, I promised that we were going to talk about B12 this week. B12 is a lowly little vitamin that's needed to form blood cells and DNA. It's also a key player in the function and development of brain and nerve cells. So it's pretty important. Some symptoms you may have if you have a deficiency, extreme fatigue, pins and needles, a sore red tongue, mouth ulcers, muscle weakness, disturbed vision, and psychological issues like depression, anxiety, and brain fog. Some of the causes of B12 deficiency can include diet. Another reason that some people are deficient is they may have GI conditions like Crohn's disease, or maybe they've had a surgery on their stomach. Medications are also a culprit. If you're taking a PPI for reflux, it lowers the acid in your stomach. And if you remember, you need the acid in your stomach to be able to break food down so that you can digest it properly. And one of the reasons is because you can't absorb B12 if it's not digested. So if you're deficient in B12, the things that you can do is make sure you're eating enough foods that are rich in B12, like meat, salmon, and eggs. You can do B12 supplements, either oral or injection. There are two different forms that are typically used, methylcobalamin and cyanocobalamin. If you have a choice, you want the methyl form because it's naturally occurring. The cyano form is synthetic and God made is better than man made 100% of the time. Good stuff. What do you have next week? We'll talk about insulin resistance. And just as a reminder, I give simplified information in this format. I do not give medical advice on this show. It's basic information. Check with your practitioner before taking any supplements. We have a little bit of a train story. One fine day we decided to play hooky from work we both were scheduled for work it was a fun day (laughs) yeah i took off you took off and we went to lebanon ohio they have a dinner train there it's a probably a 10 or 15 mile 
route and you eat dinner, you look out the window, see the scenic views and have the thrill of being on a, on a train. So when the train's not actively running guests for this dinner event, it just sits there unattended. I said, Carolyn, look at this. Let's climb up on this thing and take pictures, right? So Carolyn doesn't say anything, but I'm really not waiting for a response. I just assume she's going to follow me. And I climb up and the doors open where I can actually get in and get behind the wheel of this puppy. So I so which I get there. horrifying to me. Which I noticed once I, once I noticed the door was open, I turn around and I'm about to say, Carolyn, the door's open. And you're a freaking ghost. Because I'm... <laughs> I might be a ride or die, but I'm not a ride or go to jail. <laughs> where did you go? I still don't know to this day. Where did you go? I was hiding from the popo. <laughs> oh, man. Our guest this week is Robert Rangel, conductor for the Union Pacific Railroad. I enjoyed the railroad. I grew up around it, and that's all I ever wanted to do. My dad worked out there, and uh, he would take me out there from time to time and have to uh, go do work, and he would leave me there with those guys at the uh, roundhouse. They would let me get on the engines and play. And and what's the roundhouse? You said they, they, they you'd be at the roundhouse. What is that? Well, that's, uh, uh, it's where they kept all the, the, the locomotives and stuff, and, and it was a round building, and they had a turntable out in front of it. You could run the engine up on the turntable, and turn it and put it in whatever bay you wanted to in the roundhouse. So it picked the the locomotive up and then just moved it in a circle? No, it didn't pick it up. You just rolled out on this on a track and that the whole thing would turn and then you put the engine on whatever, like say where it was used for maintenance and upkeep and stuff like that. Seems like you knew right away that this was what you wanted to do. I liked it from the start because there, I was a little kid there and this guy's letting me get up on this big old locomotive and let me take the let the brake off of it and open, you know, pull the throttle back and let me He'd let me drive it up in the bay that we needed to go to or drive it out of the bay onto the turntable. You know, he was standing right behind me, but I was doing it. How old? Probably about there, probably about six, seven, eight years old. And so that would be a year-round thing? Was that was that a summertime thing or what? No, it's not something that happened all the time. Uh, I know one, one thing in particular, my parents, when I was in second grade, my parents divorced for about a year. So every time I'd come down to see Daddy, well, it seemed like every time I came to see him, he had to go to work for some reason. They'd call him in for overtime. And so he would take me down there with those guys that they were running the roundhouse area uh he would just leave me with them while he went and did his work <laughs> so they took care of me and showed me all and let me do all that stuff and it was a lot of fun let's get close to the time you're you're thinking about working let's let's go into your early teenage years you still doing that or i wanted it from uh, ever since i can remember because uh like i say i liked it and then uh, i found early on in, in school life there that college wasn't for me <laughs> and uh so so i was campaigning for my dad helped me get a job out there from for a lot forever you know and that's all i wanted to do through high school I, I just wanted to go to work for the railroad all right so tell me about your first job well all that happened real quick i was my you know my i've been out of high school for about six months and dad dad hadn't done anything to uh help me <laughs> and so uh, back then, you had to know somebody or be somebody's relative or something to get get a job out there. So I went and talked to 
an Air Force recruiter because I'm like, well, the railroad's not going to happen. So I went and talked to an Air Force recruiter, and I came back and told my mom, and she got, she, and then she talked to Daddy, and he, because she didn't want me to do that. So Dad made a phone call right there that afternoon, and right after that, I mean, a few minutes after that, I went down to the yard office and talked to talked to the boss down there, and he put me to work the next day. Okay, so your first day, you show up, and what do they tell you to do? We had to go out to the yard, and they'd give us uh, some list of the, of the of the cars in the yard that that need, that we needed to build us up a train to take with us. And this is the roundhouse where you is that where you went to work every day? Yeah, that's where I went to work. Yeah. So you so you get a list of of cars that you need to pick up. We were building up a train for those guys to use later that night. So we had the, those cars were scattered all through the yard. Certain cars are leased to to certain company, and they come in the yard from from outside, you know, from Houston or wherever. They come in the yard and they're all mixed up. You know, they all have different destinations. So when you get ready to get the ones to take with you, you have to pull that, get a hold of that cut of cars where, where your cars are, pull it out and switch the ones out so it's not going to go with you and put the ones in a certain track that's going to go with you. You keep them all together. And uh, and you do that for every, how many uh, how many tracks you have to switch that day. Sometimes you got two or three tracks. Sometimes you may have five or six of them you have to go to to get all your stuff. So if I understand understand correctly you're delivering these cars to another place and they're going to then transport yeah that's right we'll take them out there and then from there another job will pick them up and take them on out to their to their destinations in the different refineries and stuff oh okay so but that was specifically where you worked and and by the way what was the name of the company you worked for Uh, southern pacific about 25 years after i went to work there union pacific came in and bought it out which made it a way bigger railroad one of the, the, the Union Pacific, I think there's only two or three main railroads in the country, you know, and so, uh, Union Pacific's one of them. So, so after you get those cars to their destination, then those cars are going to go to the refineries and other places. You take a load back with you after that? Uh, on that particular job, we didn't, but some jobs you do, uh, you go out and take take a, another job, their cars, and they'll have cars ready to be shipped out that you might take back to the yard, you know, to be switched and sent to their destinations. Okay. Did you move up from there? Oh, no. You, uh, you have to go, you start out on what's called, you know, they have a regular sign jobs that go to work at different times but then you have something called the extra board that's what all the young guys go on that means you only work when somebody else takes off and people take off a lot always work yeah but you you work a different job every day you might they might send you here one day and send you over there the next day and or send you on a train to uh Shreveport or there's no telling so when you show up to work you might you might be out of town for a day or two yeah yeah, very possible. Yeah, you go on those long freight jobs. You go out of town, take the train out, go to the hotel and wait for them to, for another train to come by for you to get on. How do you promote in the railroad business? How do you move up? Well, you just have to, you have to have a, see, I started off in the yard. So that's yard work. And then you got the road work. That's where it did. in the yard, there's switchmen. You're called a switchman. On the road, you're called brakemen and conductors. Well, you have to go on. I went on the road. You have to be on the road for 24 months before you can take your conductor's test. Mm. 
And what's involved in that is just it's just a comprehensive test of, of the rule book. So let's let's look at those jobs. So what is what does a switchman do? What is his primary responsibility? The switchman just stays. He never goes out of town or anything. He stays right there in his location. They'll have like in Houston, there's dozens of jobs that are yard jobs. They go to work. They work six or eight hours a day and they go home. They don't ever leave town. They know what time they're going to work and what time they're getting off. Is that a good job? to folks on the yard oh it's good it, it, you just don't make the you don't make the really good money that you can make on the road okay what is the switchman's job you stay there and you what are you switching uh whatever the yard master you know i got a yard master that uh is running the whole yard and he tells you what he needs so he'll send you lists of this track or that track and tell you to switch them out and uh get them lined up you know to go on this train or that train that's really all you do all day so he's the boss yeah the yard master's running the show and then you've got a you've got a foreman on the job and used to have two two helpers but they don't have that now they're just they're all remote a lot of them are remote control engines and there's only one man on the job did you say there are remote control for those big old trains yeah yeah for the yard for the yard jobs yeah wow for the switching jobs yeah so switcher i got it so the switcher does whatever the yard master uh needs his yard to look like he's he's configuring it for each job and then that's correct yeah tell me about being in big jobs, uh, 150 cars, you know, tens of thousands of tons. Oh, yeah, that's pretty well standard on the road. You know, you're going to have those long trains and they got to have a lot of power to pull them, you know. Okay, so you got to tell me about that. How long did you spend on the road? Uh, Probably almost all my career I was on the road. I I worked in the yard for maybe about six months. I started figuring out pretty quick the road was a place to be. So that's so I get I used my seniority and went on the road and I pretty much never left it. Typical train with say three quarters, you got 150 cars and I don't know, half or three quarters of them are loads and the rest of them are empties. Well, you're probably looking at seven, eight, 10,000 tons of weight and a mile, probably mile and a half of train. So you have to manage that, you know, with the, the engineer has to manage all that. Is there an engineer for each engine or just, you just got the guy at the front of the train? No, just, just the one in front. All the engines are, are, are hooked up together. Mm-hmm. They're all controlled from the front engine. Okay, so when you leader. so you know you have four engines, you got ten thousand tons of train behind you. What's the longest trip? A train like that will take uh, hours, wise. Yeah, hours, miles, whichever makes sense. Uh, well, we can't work but twelve hours. We have a federal law, you know, says twelve hours is all we can work. So when the twelve hours is up, wherever the trains is, well, that's where it's going to stay. Oh wow! So so what now? Union Pacific would send send somebody to get your hotel accommodation. Yeah, you, they had contracts with you know with different hotels in different cities, and uh, and uh, yeah, they just take you to the hotel and you get your rest okay. and uh, wait wait. wait for another train to come back. So I asked the original question, before you guys roll out, what's the preparation like? Uh, n- not that much. You just got to make sure all the handbrakes are off and uh, which the yard crew usually takes care of, the switchman. They, they take care of that or supposed to anyway. But you got to, it'll have handbrakes on it, you'll, you know, because it's sitting there. You'll have to, maybe sometimes you got to put the engines on and then let, let the brakes off and then they'll do an air test on it. Make sure all the air brakes are working and functional and everything. 
and uh, then you're ready to go. So y'all start to roll out. What's yeah, whenever it, they'll let you. Who is they? The yard master or, well, the, or the train dispatch. What kind of, th- what, what could delay? I mean, you know, it's not the obvious, like something wrong with the tracks, but what else could delay your train leaving on time? Uh, other trains trying to get in. Try, you have other trains trying to get in and get out and all at the same time. Like uh, Houston, you know, you're familiar with that. There's sure. trains coming from every different direction over there. there oh. I don't know how many different railroads there is around there. Uh, small railroads. Oh. You have the big ones, but then you have the little short line railroads too. So and they're all trying to get come and go. And so it's it's pretty hectic. So you're rolling down. You got 10,000 tons. And your job on those, you did a lot of that time as, as, as the conductor. So what are you responsible? for anything to have you uh you know the tra- the dispatch train dispatcher tells you how far you can go uh, some places have the block signals that you can just follow the green lights and yellow light uh until they turn red and then other ones you have to uh have to get permission to go from here to there and then you have to wait and get permission to go from there to somewhere else you were telling me at one point about the caboose position it still exists but it's not a sleeper car it's a working so what is that c- yeah. caboose responsible for the caboose uh, they used to the spruce back there to help the guys on the head in the train uh, be able to see what's going on with the train going down the tracks. You know, you go around a curve or something. Something could be smoking. Something could be dragging, you know, dragging the ground. There's all kind of different things that can go wrong. And, uh, but, you know, used to, we had an engineer on those freight jobs, an engineer, a brakeman on the head end, and a conductor and a brakeman on the rear end. Well, they cut, they cut the rear brakeman off, and then they cut the cabooses off, you know, back in the I don't know, 80s, probably late 80s, started cutting calluses off. So all of that's monitored electronically now rather than having human eyes on it? Uh, yeah, basically, um, uh, you just got a little, uh, they got a light you hang on the back of the train now instead of the caboose. There's a red light back there, and it's a it's a smart light. It communicates with the head end, tells you you've got a box up on the head end, telling you how much air pressure there is back there and all that kind of stuff. Sounds like technology changed your business a lot. Yeah, on the railroad, they put out, they put these, what they what they called them, scanners on the side of the tracks. When the train goes over it, you know, all those, every every railroad car has a, a barcode on the side of it. It's about six or eight inches long. Mm-hmm. And that scanner will read that barcode. And so it knows what that car is, what's in it. It tells you how fast they're going when they go over it, what time they go by there. You know, it really, they can really keep up with things a lot better nowadays. Who determines how fast that train goes? Well, you just have different speeds for different, you have different track speeds. Mm-hmm. And then you also have different uh, maximum speeds for certain kind of trains. Some trains can go six miles an hour some can go 50 and some in some cases are restricted to like 35 because of different chemicals they have on there the other day i was on my way home and this train was on the track just just sitting on the track blocking the mm-hmm. blocking the you know the gates were down lights flashing a line of cars on both sides every person that was stuck by that train asked why did you stop the train in the middle of this intersection a lot of times with that is uh you know the dispatchers are supposed to work with us on the train trains, uh, you know, so we can try to avoid stopping on crossings for a l- l- periods of time, you know, and uh, sometimes, you know, they'll tell you, well, come on down here and uh, you can come on in the yard and then you get about halfway there and while something comes up, they can't get you in. Well, then there you are sitting on top of all those crossings. Oh, oh, gotcha. You know, gotcha. 
if they can't bring you in, they're supposed to work with you and say, okay, you stay out, young, out, out at a certain place out there uh, to where you're not on crossings yeah. or anything, and we'll call you when we get ready for you. So don't be mad at you. No, it's it's 99.9% .9 of the time, it is not the crew's fault. As a train conductor, what advice can you give us or what can you say about safety and, and driving and, and what do you wish people knew about that train that we don't know. Those trains, they, they'll run right over you. They don't care. And uh, people don't realize that you can't, you just can't stop a train going 50 miles an hour. It takes a mile to hard to stop. And I, and I talked to you about this before, but do you know why, what, I guess you can't explain anything folks do, including myself, but <laughs> it, it, why do people do that? Do you think, I mean, as a, as a person that's, that sits in the conductor's chair why, and you're looking through that windshield out, out down that rail, what, what why do people do that they're all in a hurry just like we are everybody's in a hurry they don't want to have to stop you've actually been in, involved in some in some train collisions yeah there was a we were coming down we was coming real pretty fast about 50 or so and we just had an engine and a caboose uh we were on our way home to tie up and go home but there was no crossing lights there was on this crossing there was just those cross bucks you know you've seen there was, there was no lights on it and yeah. i saw this guy pull up on the crossing and he, he never saw us coming he pulled up he pulled up on the middle of the crossing and then looked up at us and by that time well we hit him right square in the middle of, of his truck and uh he had he was in his him and his wife were in his 20s they had a baby there that was not two years old and uh, it killed them all you know and uh and you're so so and you're you're in the driver's seat of that train no i was on the caboose i was on the caboose but but like i say we didn't have any cars we just had the engine and then the caboose so i was right there after the impact what happens well uh that, on that particular one uh since we wrapped the, the engine wrapped I mean, the truck, the, the truck wrapped completely around the front of the engine, and uh, and about that time, it exploded from the gas tank, and uh, the guys on the engine were okay. They were covered by glass and stuff, but on the caboose, it got real hot real quick back there, and we all, we there was two of us back there. We had to jump off. and Where'd you have to jump? Just jump off the side wherever you could. I wound up, uh, ran out of, ran out of uh, tracks there. That I, I had not tracks, but ran out of ground. I had to jump off the bridge, which was not that far down there, eight or ten feet. But I, when by the time I got out, I had to jump off of it to get out of there. But I had to go. It was too hot. What What was at the bottom of the bridge? Just dirt. It was a creek down there, and uh, it was just dirt and you know just woods basically. And I caught myself on a. a pipe that runs up under the side of the bridge i caught myself and broke my fall and i think i dislocated my shoulder but that was it and then you i guess are a witness you have to go up and give a statement and oh yeah oh yeah they had to come and get the you know uh, the the engine and the truck that we hit was when it stopped it was in the middle of that bridge out there so we had to get somebody to come pull the pull the engine back off the truck but the truck was on fire there was nothing you know there was nothing in there we we tried to holler and see if we could find get a hope you know hear somebody or something but there was nothing and at the time we didn't know if the guy was by himself or what but it turns out he wasn't so you just hate to see something that bad happen you know yeah one of those events you'll never ever uh forget so you had a great railroad life you found your calling yeah yeah it was a good job i was gone a lot more than i would have liked to have been but on the other hand it was a good job made pretty good money and uh, made me a good living i 
Well, I enjoyed it. Well, listen, I appreciate you. Robert Wrangle is a conductor for the Union Pacific Railroad retired. Thank you, sir. No problem. The Doc and Carolyn podcast is for entertainment purposes only and the exclusive property of DNC Media, LLC.